Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome you to the First Baptist Church. Coming from you, from here, to you in Coleraine, Massachusetts. Uh, we are studying, as you know, regulars that tune in and listen, wherever you may be, which we appreciate that very much. Through the book of Revelation, this, uh, today we're going to cover the whole of chapter 20. And uh, the heading in this Bible is the thousand years. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, for they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sands of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. 
Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no more place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are solemn passages and we need understanding. It's a long chapter and there's a lot in it. We could spend a few weeks on it, but because of time, we, we, don't, we can't do that. So we help us to stay tuned in, focus just for half an hour, and uh, not to be distracted, and to be taught. There's so much in it. It's, I'm gonna have to try to compress it all within the half hour frame or so. And uh, there is so much more to know about it. But give us understanding of what we'll learn this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the title of this message is, What Happens When Jesus Comes Back? What happens when Jesus comes back? Because obviously Jesus said that he will come back. And uh, initially at the rapture, we're going to meet him in the air. But he will come back physically to this earth and set up his kingdom reign. Last week, we learned what happens when Jesus does come back to establish his kingdom reign. Six times in chapter 20, this chapter, we read the millennial kingdom, obviously, is 1,000 years in length when Christ returns as King of kings and Lord of lords, sitting on the throne of David. Where would that be? In Jerusalem, Luke chapter 1, 32, 33, confirms this. It says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. You know that Jesus was in the lineage of David, King David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end and Jacob of course is referring to Israel amen the covenants that God made with Israel demand and God always keeps his promises amen he made covenants 
promises to Israel. And that demands a literal, physical return of Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom reign. The Abrahamic covenant, God promised Israel a land, prosperity, a ruler, and spiritual blessings. You can read that, those that do take notes. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. We're doing a little history lesson here regarding these covenants that God made with Israel, God's chosen people. The Palestinian covenant, God promised Israel a restoration to the land and the occupation of the land. You can read that, Deuteronomy chapter 30, 1 through 10. Then we've got the Davidic covenant. God promised Israel a king from David's line, his lineage, who would rule, giving the nation rest from all their enemies. And Israel has a lot of enemies. Amen. 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 13. All these covenants, these agreements, these contracts will be fulfilled at Christ's return. Israel is regathered from all the nations. They, are, they will be converted to Christ, recognizing him as Messiah. That's one of the main reasons for the tribulation period. And restore under him his Messiahship in Israel, where he will rule and reign in Jerusalem. The millennium will be a perfect environment, physically and also spiritually, when Jesus reigns. There's going to be no crime or anything like that. It will be a time of peace. Now listen to the prophet Micah in chapter 4, 2 through 4. It's a prophecy regarding the millennial kingdom. <clears throat> and there's numerous prophecies. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. It's going to be a time of peace. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It's going to be a wonderful time during the millennial kingdom. The Bible also tells us that only believers will enter into the millennial kingdom. Only believers. Because of this, it'll be a time of obedience, holiness, truth, and the knowledge of God. Christ will rule as king. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9. And this is what we normally hear once a year around Christmas time. But it's referring 
to the millennial kingdom when Jesus will reign. For unto us a child is born. Who's that? For unto us a son is given. And the government, see, he's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. The government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. There we have it again. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's not happened yet, it will. Talking about the millennial kingdom. So that's just in the way of introduction. How long you got today? I said half an hour, but I can't hold to that. Revelation chapter 20, 1 through 3, describes the devil's punishment. After the Antichrist, and uh, we know, we've already studied this, the Antichrist and the false prophet were cast into the lake of fire. Amen? Read that in Revelation 19. We studied this before. Verses 20 and 21. At the beginning of Christ's 1,000-year kingdom reign, the devil, Satan, that old serpent, the dragon, is going to be chained up. And it, this amuses me because, you know, we, we, sometimes we give Satan too much credit and st- that he's got this power, you know. To a certain extent he does, but not over believers and certainly not over God because God is almighty. And it says that an angel who obviously is far more powerful and superior than the old dragon, the devil. What does he do? He comes down from heaven. It says in verse 1, and he's got the key to the abyss, which is the bottomless pit, and he's holding this chain in his hand, and he gets hold of the dragon, and he puts this chain on him, and he throws him, it says. Cast him into the abyss. See, Satan's not all-powerful by any stretch of the imagination, so there's no need to fear him. Fear him who has the power of life and death. Amen? Now, John sees people that have been resurrected, and they're sitting on thrones. And these are the martyred believers who were saved during the tribulation period. They didn't receive the mark of the beast, right? They suffered persecution. And then they were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ during the latter half of the seven-year tribulation, the last three and a half years called the Great Tribulation. Are you with me so far? This means yes. That means no. There's mention here of the first resurrection. Amen? That also includes believers. That will be us. We're going to be involved in the first resurrection at the rapture. When Jesus comes back, we meet him in the air. Believers who are raised at the rapture 
otherwise the resurrection, it's another name, before the tribulation on earth begins. We're going to be taken out before the seven-year tribulation begins. That's good news, isn't it? We don't want to go through that tribulation, do we? And we won't. And you want confirmation? Read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Verse 5 talks about the resurrection, also the resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection of the unsaved dead. When he talks about dead, it's referring to people that have never been made alive, never been born again through receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They too will be resurrected and they will face God at the great white throne judgment. This will happen at the end of the thousand years, the millennial kingdom, he tells us there. Those who have never been saved by believing faith in Jesus Christ, like I said, their resurrection will be at the end of the thousand year reign to face God at the great white throne judgment. And this is referred to as the second death, all right? Because they died physically, right? They died physically. And they're also spiritually dead as well. And that's very, very bad news. And we've already quoted the last few uh, words in this chapter. Then I saw, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. See, we, we won't... Believers, we won't be standing before the great white throne judgment. We're going to be, we'll be standing at the judgment seat of Christ, but we won't have to give an account for our sins. The unbelieving dead will give an account for their sins because they've never been forgiven of their sins, never having received Jesus as their personal saviour and having their sins forgiven. Are you with me so far? Earth and the sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. No place in heaven for unbelieving dead. Oh, no. And I saw the dead, great and small. That means people from every walk of life and social standing. Standing before the throne and the books were opened. God's keeping account. Everything we ever did, everything we ever do, whether we're saved and unsaved. Another book was open, which is the Book of Life. That's where our names are, if you're a believer. The dead, this is the unsaved dead, would judge according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up what was in it, and death and Hades, or hell, gave up their dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The fire is the second death. And anyone's name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we needed to be reminded of that. And how glad we ought to be that we won't have to face God at the great white throne judgment and be cast into the lake of fire. But and even though that's very bad news, if you're unsaved, it's very bad news. You know there's good news? There's still good news, and the good news hasn't changed. In verse 6, those who participate in the first resurrection will be blessed and holy. You know, we don't feel like we're holy, do we? 
We don't act like we're holy. Ask my wife. You know, don't ask my wife. I'll just tell you that I'm not, okay? And neither are ye. But, you know, once we get to heaven, we will be holy and uh, blessed. And uh, that means happy and spiritually prosperous. You may not have much in this life, but you will be spiritually prosperous and blessed, happy, 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 happy. All the time, all the time, for eternity. What a day that will be. No Debbie Downers, you know. No, yeah, anyway. All believers in Christ will rise from the dead at the first resurrection, regardless of when or how they died. They will be blessed. We will be blessed. Having been set free forever from the second death. Oh no, we're not going to die twice because we've been born again, amen? At the end of Christ's thousand year reign, it tells us in seven and eight, there's 15 verses, you know, at the end of the thousand year reign, Satan will be released from his prison. Don't forget, he's been cast into the abyss, in other words, the bottomless pit, kind of hell and he's going to be released after a thousand years and what happens he's going to resume his opposition against God and his people people of Israel after his release from prison Satan deceives the nations of the world don't forget this is going to be a thousand year reign of Christ and those that are saved during the tribulation period there's going to be men and women, yes? They're going to enter into the millennial reign of Christ. And they will marry and be given in marriage. They're all saved. But then their offsprings will not necessarily be saved, for sure. And there's going to be, starting with a few, like it was with Adam and Eve, and then hundreds and then thousands, and then millions of people during that 1,000-year reign of Christ. And a good majority of them are not going to be believers. They're going to behave themselves because Jesus is ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. Amen? They're going to behave themselves. There's not going to be any crime. But in their hearts, they are not saved, and they are rebellious. And Satan is going to deceive them, and he's going to gather an army of these unbelievers together against the Lord. We're going to learn more about that immediately. All right? Verse 8. So this is a massive group recruited by Satan. They, they gather together to attack Israel, and these people, this group of people, these group of unbelievers that hate Christ, even though he's reigning for a thousand years. The human nature doesn't change, all right? Jesus was with those people for three and a half years, and they still crucified him. They hated him, and that's going to be like that during the millennial kingdom. Obviously, believers will love him, but there's going to be many that hate him, and Satan's going to deceive them, and this group is called... 
encapsulated in two words, Gog and Magog. Now, Gog and Magog, the, that's also, they are also mentioned in the book of Ezekiel in chapters 38 and 39, as well as here in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. These two Bible passages use the same names, Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38, 39, Revelation chapter 20. But they may not refer to the same people or events. And there's different views about this, of course. There always will be. The war that Ezekiel talks about with Gog and Magog is an invasion against Israel. That's going to happen in chapter 22, right? But it, the invasion is going to be coming from the far north in Ezekiel, which would include Russia or Rosh, okay? And a few other nations as well. Then by a series of judgments by God, the armies are completely wiped out and there's going to be months spent burying the dead, the dead bodies. They're going to be wiped out. However, here in Revelation chapter 20, when the nations gather against Israel and the Lord, it tells us in verse 9, they're not coming from the north, like in Ezekiel. They are, they're going to surround the city. Can you read that? They are going to surround the city, which is Jerusalem in Israel, attempting to ca capture the capital. But then fire comes down from heaven and completely consumes them. So that's different from what happens in Ezekiel, where it takes months to bury the bodies. In this case, in Revelation chapter 20, the bodies, the, these people that gather their armies against the Lord, will be consumed by fire and totally obliterated and burned up. So there'll be no need to bury the bodies. Do you see the difference? between the prophecy in Ezekiel and the prophecy here in Revelation chapter 20. So it's two separate events, and some people believe that the, the uh, prophecies in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 will happen halfway through the seven-year tribulation period, okay? And when the Antichrist turns against Israel, and uh, predominates his rule and reign for three and a half years. That being aside, you can see there's a big difference. But they use the same names, Ezekiel and John here in Revelation chapter 20, Gog and Magog. By using the same names, Gog and Magog, it shows that these people in the prophecy in Ezekiel, and also here in Revelation 20, it de they demonstrate the same rebellious attitude and antagonism against Christ. 
okay? They come under the same category as unsaved rebellion, rebellious people that hate God, all right? Let's carry on. Verse 9 tells us Satan's followers, they're going to be marching to the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Where's that? Jerusalem. That would be the political center of the world. We read that in Isaiah, right? When the government shall be upon his shoulders. Amen? This is going to be the political center of the world during the millennial kingdom because Christ will be reigning there as king of kings and lord of lords. Of course, the devil and his allies, they're going to have that assault on Jerusalem, surround the city, not just coming from the north, like in Ezekiel. They're going to surround the city, the great city, the beloved city of Jerusalem. Of course, they will fail. When fire comes down from heaven and consumes them all. Verses 10 through 12, Jesus speaks about an everlasting fire. This was prepared for the devil and his angels. He tells us that in Matthew 25, 41. The devil's punishment, therefore, is part of God's eternal plan to reserve a place for him in the lake of fire, where the Antichrist and the false prophet have already been cast. Amen? We read that in the previous chapter. And all those who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal saviour will suffer torment, it says, forever and ever in the lake of fire. And it's not, they're not going to be obliterated. They're going to be conscious of the fact and they're going to suffer torment in the flames forever and ever, unfortunately, and very sad for those who do not know Jesus as their personal saviour. Now let me conclude. That will include you. All of you that are watching, all of you that are listening, that have never been born again, unless you receive Jesus Christ as your personal saviour, when you die, you'll be cast into hell. And at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, you will be cast into the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever and ever. And that's bad news. That's the worst news that anyone could ever hear, and it's the worst thing that any person could ever experience. You would agree? But there's good news. There's good news. There's very, very good news. You can be saved from judgment and eternal punishment for the sins that you've committed. How? I'm glad you asked that question. There's only one way. By believing faith 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He poured out his lifeblood so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sins, the sins that you have committed, the sins that you do commit, the sins that you will commit. If you truly believe, and this is what it's all about, it's not what you can see with the eye, it's what you believe by faith and what Jesus Christ did on that cross that we couldn't do for ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot gain favor with God by doing good things because all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. All right? If you truly believe, not just in your head, but in your heart, and then you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that he died on the cross, and that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead, the Bible says emphatically that you shall be saved. You shall be saved. And that's good news, and the good news never changes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for helping us understand this seemingly difficult chapter. There's so much more to know. Just don't have the time to elaborate, but there's enough in there to know that you will be coming back. You'll be setting up your millennial kingdom for a thousand years. You'll rule and reign there in Jerusalem on David's throne. Satan will be bound for a thousand years. He will be released from prison after that thousand years. He's going to recruit. He's going to deceive like he's always done to raise up an army against the Lord and his people, but they will be consumed and the devil will be cast into the lake of fire finally and pay the penalty for the opposition that he has produced for thousands and thousands of years against Almighty God. Father, we are so thankful as believers that we don't have to stand before the great white throne judgment and give an account for our sins. Having received Jesus as our personal saviour, we are forgiven, we are washed, we are cleansed. And uh, we don't have to suffer wrath. We don't have to go through the tribulation. We are so thankful for that. We anticipate your return where you will take us out of this world. We will meet you in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. In the meantime, help us to be faithful to you. Again, may I address those of you that are not saved. I implore you, I beg you, for your own soul's sake, call upon the name of the Lord to save you before it's too late. There is hope and there is forgiveness, but only through Jesus Christ the Lord. And I hope and pray that you'll make that choice by believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord 
and that God raised him from the dead. If you truly believe that and you confess that with your mouth, you tell somebody that you believe what you believe in your heart, what Jesus has done for you, then the promise is you shall be saved. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening and watching wherever you may be. God bless you all. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.